You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Look, I think we put out a pretty good podcast. I think we talk a lot of really good college football here, but I think the award-winning product we could produce, as I've learned over the last 45 minutes in the office, is just reading our jail mail. Not fan mail. You heard me right, people. Jail mail. Because we got a really good one. I mean, we got one from a, from a certain penitentiary in a certain state of the union in which one of our... Um, one of our incarcerated brethren out there are asking for a research position here at 24-7 Sports. And I put it in the capable hands of management. It's not my call. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's wall-to-wall college football. It's mailbag. You can hit me up at Late Kick Josh. We are jam-packed. Why would we not be? And we are going to waste no time. Let's get started. Robbie hit us up and said, Is there a point where the reporting and questions about the trend of poor decision-making of Georgia players becomes loud enough that winning back-to-back titles is not enough to overlook what's going on in Athens recently. So Robbie's asking something that I think most of you are familiar with. There's been a run of bad headlines out of Georgia. We, of course, had the stuff surrounding the draft. And I don't want to make light of this. Every time we talk about this, there was an incident up there in which lives were lost. And any time that you speak flippantly about it, or any time you dismiss the wholesale notion that Robbie's talking about, it could be misconstrued as, Oh, you don't care that uh, Will uh, that two players, a player, Devin Wilcox and Chandler Lacroix, who was an assistant, they lost their lives. Well, I very much do care about that. What Robbie's asking goes well above and beyond that. I mean, I think Georgia's program has been adequately criticized. I guess is the right way to put it for what happened there. So I speak, I speak very carefully about this. But Robbie's saying, okay, all the other stuff. All the other headlines, all the other player arrests or just, you know, bad publicity in general. Is there a point where you get too much of that and it overshadows the back-to-back championships and basically the momentum they've built as a program? And my answer is, yeah, I guess there's a point where that would happen. They're not even close to it. Not even close, nor will they get close to it, would be my guess. Um, And again, I don't want to sound flippant about this. I don't think most people care. Just being honest with you, I don't think most people care. I think rival fans of Georgia do the same thing that any fan base does, and that is when when your rival's team has some mud on it, has some negative headlines, you throw it in their face. Georgia fans have done it to Florida before. Florida fans, Auburn fans, Bama fans are doing it to Georgia right now. That, that is a cycle that is old as time. That'll always happen. To really hurt Georgia, what would you have to do? You would have to cut off the supply of talent. And I don't know any recruit, I don't know any family of any recruit, and this is me personally speaking, that has been deterred from considering the University of Georgia, 
by negative headlines. I really think it's something that fans and media get more caught up in than the players and the families themselves. And here's why. You don't really get Kirby Smart in your living room, nor do I get him in my living room explaining their approach to things. And I really think, whether you're a Georgia hater, a Georgia fan, you're indifferent to Georgia or not, I think if you were to just hear their side of things, at the very least, you'd probably go, eh, okay, benefit of the doubt, that makes sense, I- I'm picking up what they're putting down. That would probably be your takeaway. The whole perception that this is just a fly-by-night operation and they really they want to win, consequences be damned, they don't care about any rules, they'll win at all costs. That's not the case. No program that sustains excellence operates like that. It's just a myth. You want to believe that about them if you don't like them, but that's a myth. So no, short of some really, really catastrophic headlines off the field uh, to this point that haven't happened, and I mean above and beyond anything that's already happened, short of that happening or short of massive NCAA scandal, short of Kirby Smart having like something in his personal life blow up that bleeds over into football, none of which we know anything about, obviously. I'm just speaking in hypotheticals. Short of that happening, I don't see anything that's happened so far between the time they won the title and now that's going to slow them down. Now, you could have a separate conversation with me and say, well, should it be the case? Should people care more about A, B, C, D? That's totally within your right to have that conversation. Uh, We're not going to do it on this particular show on this particular day, uh, but I'm just stating facts as they appear to me. And if I'm wrong, here's where you'll know it. If I'm wrong, they won't finish with a top three recruiting class. As it stands right now, they got the number one class in the country. And even though it's early, my bet is they stay there. And if they do fall from number one, they won't fall past number three. And if that's the case, you got to come back to me and tell me, was there really much negative consequence? Was there really a whole lot of negative fallout from this? Doesn't seem to be the case, at least to me. Reasonable minds can disagree. As I said when we opened, this is the Late Kick Extra Pod. Some confusion out there in the marketplace. Eh, A little bit of confusion, I guess, as to what the difference is in all this. Every now and then I have to reiterate. There's no N in the word, reiterate. Uh, Late Kick Live, this time of year, we do Sunday night and Thursday night. So if you listen on your way to work on podcast, you'll get it Monday morning and you'll get it, what, Friday morning. But then we figure that's a great big gap in between those two. We need to throw them something else. Now, in the fall, that something else is a Tuesday night live show. We do three live shows a week during the fall. Uh, But in the spring and summer, we just throw you this. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's podcast only. So unlike Late Kick Live, you cannot watch the full version of this on YouTube. You got to be subscribed or at least checking out the podcast feed. And if you're checking it out, please go ahead and subscribe. All right, next up, Josh is from Gainesville, Florida. He said, what's your favorite part of the road trips you take? We just came off one down in Miami. We were in Penn State about a month ago. This is such an easy answer for me. Josh, love your name, by the way. Working out in college weight rooms is incredible. I was telling someone on the staff down at Miami when I was down there, if you would have told me basically anything about my life a decade ago was actually going to happen like this, I may not have believed you. But even if you told me, okay, take all the doubt away, you're actually going to go on to to have a really, really big job in sports media, and you're just going to talk about college football, and you're going to get to do the dream scenario of go wherever you want every Saturday and have a major media company fit the bill for it, and you're going to get to stand on the sidelines for all the biggest games in the world, and you're going to get access, and you're going to get coaches 
talking to you and you're going to be able to have the most informed opinion you could possibly have. I would have said, yep, that's a dream job. Sign me up. But even if you told me, Josh, even if you told me that I was going to have that dream job, there still would be one thing that I would think was unobtainable. And that would be access to college weight rooms. Now, to some of you, that sounds backwards. To some of you, you may think the access to the college weight room should come before a lot of that. Hey, that's, that, that's the way you see it. That's the way you see it. To me, that's always been sort of the holy grail. Being able, if I'm at Georgia or Penn State or Miami like we were last week, to, to tell the folks there, to tell like Greg Kincaid at Penn State, to tell Cam Gorby down at Miami, hey, I need to get a workout in. And for them to say, no problem. Bro, we'll hook you up. I'll, I'll, I'll hit Chuck up or, or I'll hit uh, Aaron Feld up. I'll find out what the schedule is. You get right in there. That's the dream scenario. That's the best part of the road trips. The food is good too, Josh. The food's really good too. But by the way I can see it, everyone eats when they go on the road. Some better than others, but everyone eats when they go on the road. Not everyone gets to work out in a college weight room. And I'll also say this. I know a lot of you work out. Some of you are working out even as you're listening to this right now. Shout out for choosing this over music. Most of you probably take some form of pre-workout supplement before you work out. I do. It's not a problem. But let me tell you, when you work out in a college weight room, it's like an injection of adrenaline or caffeine that is above and beyond any street legal pre-workout that you could take. Now, those of you shopping on that black market out there, I cannot attest for what you're putting in your body. But as for those of us who live by the letter of the law, like I take a pre-workout supplement called Pre-Gym, J-Y-M. They're not paying for anything, so that's the last shout-out they'll get, but I think it's a really good product. A one-rounded scoop is 300 milligrams of caffeine, by the way. That stuff will get you going. Working out in a college weight room puts more adrenaline in your body than that, and especially if you're in there, because I was in there with Miami's uh, football team the other day, including the head coach. So like I'm in there working out with the team, Awesome. Awesome. You find out it's like, it's like law. It's like the law of the jungle. When you're working out in that setting, those of you who have been college athletes some of you have played in the NFL. When you guys have been in that kind of weight room setting, some good high schools are like this. If you ever can experience it, you realize why they athletically are on such a different level on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, because that environment forces you to either meet the level of intensity or you get chewed up. And so you realize you're working out at like a 25, 30% higher level than you otherwise would. And it's the environment that's affecting you and impacting you. So yeah, that's my favorite part of our road trips, being able to go on the road. Unfortunately, I'm not in one today. So I do have a little caffeine at my disposal here. Let me take a sip and we move on. Thank you for affording me that opportunity. Jake is from Mechanicsville, Virginia, and he asks, will the ACC have a chance to remain a power conference if it's historically good programs, the U, FSU, etc., and middle-tier programs, North Carolina, Louisville, and Virginia Tech, return to form? Yes. Absolutely it would be a power conference. It should be right now. I said this on the Thursday night show last week. People hate on the Pac-12. Okay, for not being all that it could be. People hate on the Big 12 sometimes for not being a perennial playoff producing just powerhouse of a conference. You need to be hating on the ACC. The ACC is the conference that has dropped the ball fantastically because unlike the other two I just mentioned and unlike any of the G5 conferences, the ACC overlaps with some of the biggest recruiting hotbeds in America. 
They have schools in Georgia. They have schools in the Carolinas. They have schools in the Virginias. And they have schools in Florida. That's where everyone else comes to recruit. And yet they have woefully underachieved. Virginia hasn't mattered in a long time. Virginia Tech hasn't mattered in a long time. Outside of a blip, Florida State, up until now, hasn't mattered in a long time. Miami hasn't mattered in a long time. It's just inexcusable ineptitude on the part of the ACC. And what's happened is Clemson came in, Dabo turned Clemson into what Alabama was in the SEC. The difference is when Saban started to transform Alabama into the monster they became, what happened? Everybody adjusted to try and keep up. Now, they didn't all keep up, but even the Arkansas and the Mississippi States and Ole Misses of the world, they started to spend more. They started to invest and invest and take things more seriously. Auburn ended up winning a national championship. It put so much pressure on them and played for another one. In the ACC, it's like one program started to lift off and the rest of them waved from earth by. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So Clemson did their part. No one else did their part. So in this world, like, like was presented in the question there, if Virginia Tech were to just moderately fulfill on their potential, and Miami did that, and Florida State did that, and North Carolina did that, yeah, that's a power conference. They could be, any given year, the best conference in college football. Not long term. I mean, but any given year, yeah, if, if those programs, that's half a dozen deep of high-level programs, if they were all operating at moderate to max capacity. But as it stands, they're not. It's one of the great missed opportunities in college football. And I know I reference this a lot, but think about our college-age audience. You guys are listening to me. You may not even believe me because you haven't lived in a world where Florida State was legit. I'm telling you, not too long ago, there was a world where Florida State was what Georgia is now, feared Took a field with them, you feared them. Miami, you feared them. Virginia Tech, believe it or not, was that a generation ago. So it's not like it hasn't happened. I'm not trying to present you this, this, um, this threading of the needle scenario where if you did everything right, like TCU last year, it could happen. It has happened. It could happen again. It's just not happening right now. And it's a shame selfishly even. It's a shame because I'd love to see it. All right, next up. Good mix of questions, I think, in the pod today. As I pull my dock up, I got a new laptop because I dropped my old one and it goes to sleep on me pretty quick. So Kyle hit us up from Elkton, Maryland. And Kyle said, as the future commissioner of college football, will you implement a promotion and relegation system amongst conferences? Example, Big Ten and MAC or SEC Sunbelt. I would love to. For a million reasons, this will probably never happen. I say probably, so I, I want to hold out hope myself. But I would love this, love this, love this. Uh, English Premier League Soccer does it. A lot of you are familiar with what this is, but if you're not, it puts real consequence on sucking. It puts real consequence on finishing last. Right now, you go into any given season, and in the Big Ten, you may look at it and you may say, no, nope, Rutgers going to finish last again. Northwestern going to finish last again, but they'll be back next year. In the English Premier League and in a relegation promotion model, that's not the way it would work. In a relegation promotion model, you would look at, for instance, uh, Vanderbilt or, or Missouri or whoever, any given year, the team you think is going to finish last in the SEC, 
and you would look at maybe the team that may finish first in the Sun Belt, let's just say Louisiana, Lafayette, and there would be a threat of them switching spots. The best out of your partner conference elevates, and the worst out of your A-tier conference drops. Now, here's why I would love that. Number one, because it fosters more competition, it promotes excellence, it punishes ineptitude, and you ultimately get the best product as a fan, and, and, think about what it would do at the end of the year. You know how when we talk about college football playoff expansion and some of the expansionists say it would put more meaning on more games, I kind of say, I don't think it will. Well, in this case, it absolutely would. Just not the way the playoff expansion is designed to. Think about this. If you knew relegation was on the line, and now let's say we had Missouri versus Vanderbilt. Let's say we had Rutgers versus Northwestern towards the end of the year. None of you are watching that. If they played Rutgers versus Northwestern in your backyard in late November, chances are you'd close the blinds. That's how unwatchable that is. But if you knew there was a threat that one of them was going to get kicked out of the conference because you had a random Mac school that was ready to be promoted because they've been rolling for two or three years and they're banging on the door, they just want their shot, all of a sudden, what did we just do? We just created must-watch TV between Rutgers and Northwestern, and here's the bonus for your television partner, aside from the obvious, you get more eyeballs, but aside from the obvious, the TV partner is going to benefit long-term because no sustained loser is staying in the top conference. By the very definition of how promotion and relegation works, if you're always last, you're gone. Yes, it would be very fun. I would be fully on board with it. Of course, there are so, there's so much red tape around what it would take to achieve that that I, I don't think we would ever see it. The one thing that gives me hope is remember last year, maybe two years ago at this point, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, he always takes pictures of the books that he's been reading. And there was one, I can't remember the title of it, but it was a pretty popular book, and it was about the English Premier League. And he was sort of intimating that he was studying the model of that league. And then reasonable minds like mine were left to wonder, wonder and wander, actually, about what it was he was taking away from that model. Is it just reading for pleasure? Is he just looking at expansion and how you go acquire new properties? Or is he holistically looking at that model and saying... That's the future of college athletics. You know many of these changes I don't like. That's a change that I would like, especially if you're forcing all this other stuff on me. I'm the kind of person that at a certain point gets tired of being, you know, beaten over the head with all these changes. I grab the club from you and I say, all right, if we're going to change things, let's really change things. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa, 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 we don't want that much change. Mm, nope. You hit the change button. You pulled the change lever. Now I'm going to want some real, real change. Let's get some stuff that actually benefits us while we're at it. Got a little too worked up there. I'm sorry. That's why when I'm, when I'm commissioner, it could be touch and go there for a little while. That's a lot of power. I feel ultimately I would handle it responsibly, and I would hand back power once the crisis was under control. But before that, we would go scorched earth on some of these people and some of this stuff. All right, next question. Bradley, the associate in there at the wheel. Omar hit us up from Knoxville, Tennessee, with one of the more pressing questions of the year 2023 so far. He said, have you been back to that restaurant in Nashville that messed up your grilled cheese and did they improve from last time? Omar, I regret to inform you 
that I went back on my word and I gave them another chance. And I regret to inform you, they dropped the ball again. And so I never again, never, never again. For those of you unfamiliar, the staff and I get in here on Sundays or Thursdays or Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday during the season, and we don't have time to go eat or we're too lazy to go out. And so we order Uber Eats and then Bradley, the associate, draws the short straw and he has to go down to the street and pick it up, brings it back up. And there's this restaurant, this little Mediterranean outfit here in Nashville that I order grilled salmon from, but also I get the grilled cheese. Now, some of you, some of you of the more management-esque mentality out there just turned your nose up and you said, why would you order grilled cheese from a Mediterranean restaurant? My answer is because it's on the menu. I got real close to the mic there. It's probably spiked the audio, but I wanted to emphatically say, if you put something on your menu, it's not my fault for ordering it. It's your fault for putting it on the menu. And then here's where it really gets egregious. The picture does not match the product. The picture is a grilled cheese. There are two pieces of bread and there's cheese in the middle and it's grilled. Now, I don't want to give away any secret recipes, but that's largely how grilled cheese is made. And for a little while, I would order it and they would send a real grilled cheese sandwich. Now, producer Jesse looked at it with disdain, but I have a much more unrefined palate. You know, I didn't grow up in the circles that Jesse grew up in. And so good enough is enough for me when it comes to grilled cheese. Well, then they just said, forget it. In this economy, bread is just is too far a bridge for us to cross. We're just going to put cheese inside a little pita and we're going to pass it off as grilled cheese. So I ordered it one day. And they sent me that little trash pita. And they tried to pass it off as grilled cheese. And I actually, I didn't eat it. I held it up on the show, cold. I showed you, just in disgust. And I said, never again. But then I went back and I thought, you know, maybe the pressure was applied. Maybe they'll come through this time. They didn't. They sent another trash pita. And so we're done. At least we're done ordering grilled cheese from them. Lesson learned. So Omar, I appreciate your concern. There's a place called the Grilled Cheeseria here that we have not tried out yet, uh, but that's probably next up. I've also been getting copious amounts of grilled cheese recommendations from you guys. And really, you know, aside from us getting jail mail, that's what it's all about. We get a lot of wedding invitations, no fall, only spring and summer and winter. And uh, we get some grilled cheese recipes and some, some recommendations. So thanks for looking out. Next up, so how do we pronounce this city? Swananoa? Yeah, it looks that way. Okay, so Polly Greek hit us up. Well, no, Polly Geek hit us up from somewhere in North Carolina. And he said, when a team is moving the ball up and down the field, TV announcers are quick to say that offensive coordinator is a great play caller. Well, in your estimation, what goes into being a great play caller? Great question. I was down in Miami last week. We sat down with Shannon Dawson, the new OC there. And there's a feature that's coming out really soon on the Late Kick YouTube channel. And you will see... I just had him take me in the film room. I wanted to know what he thought about his quarterback and how he would explain his new offense. And we literally, we went in the film room. He put about 20 or 30 plays up on the board, you know, laser pen, just like a film session. And he, I told him, break it down like I'm a fifth grader. And so he put it in terms everyone can understand. Here's what I think makes a great play caller. Awareness of your roster, uh, awareness of what your players' capabilities are, preparation, not just Monday through Friday, but really in spring and summer and fall and your install periods and whatnot. Um, understanding how to stick with what works, I think, is a really, really big deal. I think one of, the, one of the biggest flaws in especially a young play caller's methodology 
is they think just because something's on the play sheet, just because something's in the game plan, they have to use it. You see it every Saturday. You see guys not sticking with what works because they overthink the room and they think, well, we repped this play seven times this week and it's right here on my, on my laminated play sheet, so I've got to call it. No, you don't have to call it. You do not have to use 100% of your arsenal. There's a lot of skill in keeping it simple, stupid kiss. Keep it simple. If something's working, if they can't stop off tackle to the left, keep running off tackle to the left until they stop it. This is the most basic of principles. So basic, even I can understand it. So sticking with what works, that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing is staying ahead of the game. When you don't have to think so much, when you're in a rhythm, like Steve Sarkeesian is one of the best I've seen at this, of being in a rhythm and, and thinking, seemingly at least, thinking two, three, four plays ahead, it's so obvious when a guy is just in his bag, he's just in his groove. And I don't really know how to explain how you get there. I think, I think it really helps where we are today in terms of film study. Um, I had a coach tell me one day, because I was talking to him about how much younger, on average, head coaches are now when they're hired. And he said, well, that's just, that's just technology. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. I mean, back in the day, like in 1985, Film was actual film, and it's all about exposure and reps. That's all it's about. In football, just as much as in the brokerage business, it's all about access to reps and therefore the knowledge that you get off of experiencing mental reps or seeing them at practice. He said, well, back in the day, the reps as a coach that you would experience were the reps you saw in practice and then the reps you saw on film. But you could not go to a grad assistant and say, I want every situation that we've had here over the past four seasons on third and three to third and seven on grass fields in the month of October and have it provided to you in the span of five minutes. Now you can expose yourself to tens of thousands of more reps because of technology than you used to. Experiencing that's a big deal because you get to advance quicker because you're acquiring knowledge at a quicker rate than you would have a generation ago. Well, I think you can also just evolve as a play caller faster because you can experience so much more. Now, there are some lessons that you can't microwave your way to. You cannot hit fast forward on learning how to manage people, learning the psychological aspects of being a coach. You can't rush that. But you can. You can fast track yourself in some of these, some of these lanes. And, and I think one of them is you look around, some of the best play callers are some of the youngest guys in our game now. I don't think it's any coincidence that that's coinciding with tremendous advancements in the world of technology. It's really amazing what you can do. I mean, I was sitting there with Shannon Dawson the other day, and he was pulling up stuff from Houston. He came from Houston. He's pulling up situations from Houston, just boom, boom, boom. It's really amazing to watch. So, yeah, I think, I think situational awareness, um, understanding that you need to stick with what works, and being able to see around the corner, knowing your personnel, knowing matchups, knowing tendencies, and, and being able to recall that stuff without needing to constantly look down at something and having a feel, the intangible of having a feel for the game. I would say that's what makes a really good play caller. But hey, above and beyond all that, good players is what makes a good play caller. Because a lot of what happens on a football field is after contact. And there is no play design that involves a quick hitch out in the flat 
or, or, or a quick you know, just bubble screen out here, and then your guy makes three guys miss. That's not play design. That's, that's designing a play to put an athlete in space, and then that's the end of the play design. And at that point, it's up to a superior athlete to do what he was recruited to do. So get more of those, and you'll look like a genius. JB from Alexander City, Alabama. Oh, my. Train hopping or storm chasing? One has to go. No, they don't. I disagree. I don't have to participate in these A-B scenarios you guys send me. I, I take part in both of these. It always occurs to me when we're talking about this that somewhere out there, someone is listening for the first time. They have no clue what's going on. Well, here's what's going on. I'm a simple guy. I do a few weird things. And uh, one of them is hopping freight trains. It's as specific as I would like to get. Although Alexander City, Alabama is a very, very familiar territory to me, especially on the Norfolk Southern Lines, if you know what I mean. And storm chasing is also something I do. I'm not taking either of those away. I apologize. I know this is question and answer. You ask the question, I'm supposed to give you the answer. I'm not giving you an answer here. I'm not taking either of those away. Now, if this were a life or death situation, I guess I would have to take train hopping away only because that, that is a thrill that and a, an adrenaline rush that... You experience it, but it is kind of the same one every time. Whereas storm chasing, no two chases are the same. And Bill, the late Bill Paxton or Helen Hunt would tell you the same thing. No two chases are the same. So I guess if I'm power ranking my recreational activities, storm chasing one, train hopping one B, but neither one of them are going anywhere. Sorry. Next up, you thought I was about to toss to the ad break. I know some of you did. No, no, you're not going to see it coming this time. I will, um, I, I will take the crowbar not to the shin. I'll take the crowbar to the calves today. No one sees that coming. William from Tallahassee, Florida asks, what are your thoughts on NFL stadiums versus college football stadiums? Would you rather go to Jacksonville's new design or Maverick Stadium in Logan, Utah? Why or why not? Now, even if you haven't listened to me before, but you just know what I'm about, you know what this podcast is about, there's no question here. One of the phrases I despise is, and it's not even close. But in this particular case, my answer is, give me the college football stadium, and it's not even close. And I don't really care if it's one of the more rundown, dumpy college football stadiums versus one of the newest, most immaculate NFL stadiums. I like the wear and tear of college football stadiums. I like the antiquated old look of college football stadiums. I, we're showing LSU right now. If, you're, if, you're, if you were in the studio right, right now with me, you could see we showed Bryant-Denny Stadium. A lot of these places I've been to like a dozen times. What's funny is when you walk in some of these older stadiums, Penn State's a good example, you can see the years that the updates were made. You'll be walking through portions of some of these venues and there's architecture that was built in the 1940s. And then you walk 10 feet over and there's architecture that was built in 2003. And it's like a little erector set. It's like a Lego set. Just different parts were built at different times. I love that. I've also told you many times what I do when I get to a venue I've never been to before is I'll get there really early because we can get in there early, sometimes even the night before. I did this at Autzen Stadium last year in Oregon. I, I had them take me over there the night before. And I just, I walked the entire venue. Pretty old stadium. 
And I love going up and down the tunnels. I love seeing the locker rooms. I love seeing how hard it is on the opposing team. It's great. It's wonderful. Half of those locker rooms aren't even big enough for them to fit in. Home field advantage is real in college football. I think there are less amenities in a college football stadium, which is a good thing. It forces you to focus on the game. It, it also it filters out the wine and cheese crowd a little bit. And in the NFL, they want to attract that crowd because those folks pay more money. I get it. I, I know what the name of the game is. But, you know, in Notre Dame Stadium, you're sitting on a bleacher. In the big house, Ann Arbor, you're sitting on a bleacher unless you pay big, big money. And even if you want to, there aren't a ton of those kind of seats in there. I respect it because that's, that's my kind of folks. I mean, we, we are the same in that sense. I, I would much rather sit in a place where there's no backrest where I'm sitting and I've only got like 18 inches between me and a little sticker that indicates where the next seat starts. I'd rather sit in that kind of place if I know in turn everyone else is going to be as rabid and as passionate as me. What I don't want is I don't want to pay a little bit less or, or I don't want to pay a little bit more and have the cushiony chair back and, and have someone bringing food to me and look over to my left and right and all I have is people just taking pictures of themselves for three and a half hours and they couldn't even tell you that it's third down and three and this conversion could you know run out the clock. I, I'm not interested in that scene. College football, folks are into it. And I think in many ways, it's because the stadiums themselves, you got to be a warrior. You got to be kind of a trooper in your own right to put yourself through that for three or four hours and to not care about it, to actually embrace it. Whereas in the NFL, I mean, if the Jacksonville Jaguars played in the swamp, the Jacksonville Jaguars would not sell nearly enough tickets to pack that place because the NFL crowd is not into that. It's one of the beautiful differences between the NFL game and the college game. And I know there's a big effort out there to push the college game towards the NFL game. It's not a mystery why. The NFL game makes more money. NFL teams are worth more than college football teams. I don't think that's a problem. Because NFL teams are worth more than everything. The NFL is worth more than everything. There's a lot of beauty in understanding there's a maximization of your value when maintaining your authenticity. There is a maximum amount of worth that college football can have without sacrificing college football. And it doesn't have to be apples to apples to the NFL. And one of the great lines of demarcation between the Sunday game and the Saturday game is I go to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas to watch OU Texas. There are no sweets. I told the story two years ago when I was out there, I'm standing next to Mark Cuban on the sideline. He's a billionaire. There's no suite for him. So he's either going to sit in the stands or stand on the field but there is no luxury suite. Mark Cuban can't bring 30 of his friends over there to the Cotton Bowl. Why? Because the stadium was built, I think, five minutes after the Civil War ended, and that is exactly what it looks and feels like. There's one tunnel in, there's one tunnel out, both teams share it, it's in the middle of a state fair. Cowboys aren't going to do that, nor should they. They need to play their game, we'll play our game. And that's my platform as college football commissioner. Ah, oh, feels good to get that off my chest. Eden is from Jonesboro, Arkansas. What is your favorite trophy game? Very simple, Eden. It is Floyd of Rosedale. I don't know that you guys are intimately familiar with Floyd, but you should be, especially in Arkansas, because he's a pig. Floyd of Rosedale is, to me, the greatest trophy in all of sports. The greatest trophy in college football? No, I didn't say football, college or pro. 
I said sports. I said, I'm talking Stanley Cup. I'm talking Heisman. All of them. You can, you can respect those trophies, and I do. And the significance of those trophies is infinitely greater. The Lombardi Trophy means more. That, that crystal football in college football, because I don't acknowledge the new trophy, that crystal football in college football, yes, it means more than Floyd of Rosedale. But if you're just going on aesthetics, I love that little pig. Love him. One of my goals, and I know we got a big audience and someone's going to be able to help us out here. One of my goals is to get a Floyd of Rosedale for the set. We've got some Chalai of Supremacy. We've got some stars that I stole off Pat Foley's desk when we were still down in Brentwood. We've got a late kick helmet. We have got a personalized cowbell that someone has sent us. I got to get a Floyd of Rosedale. And we will feature him on the set somehow, some way. Colin, I know I'm making big promises here that you're going to have to come through for or come through on for me, but I got to get a Floyd of Rosedale. So anyone out there who can help me out, that's Iowa, Minnesota, by the way. And I know it's for a kid from rural Georgia, you may wonder, like, where did that come from? Well, open yourselves up a little bit. Just experience the world outside your own backyard. Think about what we have here. We have Iowa versus Minnesota, and those teams have played forever, and they go knock heads for four quarters, and they're not playing for millions of dollars. They're not playing for a job. There's no girl on the line. It's just a statue of a pig. That's exactly the way God intended this sport to be played. It's wonderful. It doesn't matter if you don't get it. You probably don't get that this is coming either. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Little disrespectful to Floyd of Rosedale to put him right next to a surprise ad toss, the little kamikaze ad toss, but I had to sneak it up on you somehow, and I think, I think we succeeded there. But yeah, uh, so just, just to revisit, we got to get a Floyd of Rosedale. I was not kidding about that. We got to get a Floyd of Rosedale at Big Ten. Oh, uh, Next up, Unsalted Hoagie in Houston, Texas, hits us up and says, what would you prefer to watch over the course of five years in college football? Would you rather a dynasty of a couple of teams form that are leagues above the competition, or would you rather see parity, where every year there are four new teams claiming those top spots? I'm not a sadist. Give all things equal? Give me the parity. Give me 2007. Just give me a car wreck. I don't choose dynasties over competitive balance. Contrary to some semi-popular belief out there. Some people out there, because I read the comments and I see you allege this, you think that I want to see Georgia go on a run where they win seven out of nine titles. You think I've thoroughly enjoyed watching Alabama. While I have enjoyed it, it's an enjoyment from a sense of appreciating excellence. What I don't 
buy into is this notion that I have favoritism for one over the other. No, no, I would much rather 17 programs be operating at that level. What I don't believe in, and this is where you separate me from, from some of the more casual-minded who follow or cover this sport, is I don't watch Georgia do what they're doing and say, we got to do something about Georgia. I don't watch Nick Saban do what he's done and say, something's got to be done about Nick Saban. I look at the rest of the sport instead and say, what are you going to do about Nick Saban? What are you going to do about Georgia? Back in the 2000s, what are you going to do about Pete Carroll at USC? It's not their fault for dominating. It's up to you to stop them. It's up to you to meet that standard because you're probably not going to stop them. So it's up to you to meet that standard. The perfect world is not where everyone's average and therefore there's a ton of parity. The perfect world is where you got a bunch of really good to elite teams and that's your parity. And that's the same way it should happen in life. That's how competition works. You should have a bunch of people rising to meet an elite standard rather than a bunch of outsiders going full crab mentality and trying to pull the one crab that starts climbing out of the bucket down so it can just, it can just waddle around with the rest of the crabs at the bottom of the bucket. That's not, what, that's not what great college football is about. So if there's a world where we get a whole bunch of teams like LSU rises to that level again this year, or Miami or Florida State or, or NC State rises to the level Clemson's been at, Texas is back, Oklahoma's back, the half dozen teams on the West Coast in the Pac-12 with over-under preseason win totals of six and or eight and a half or higher, they all fulfill on that? That would be wonderful. That's the kind of parody. Parody with an I-T-Y on the end, by the way. That's the kind of parody I want. And I will... I will openly root for it, but I will not look at excellence. I will not look at a dynasty and frown at it because no one else rose up to stop it. That's why I think Dabo and Clemson deserve a ton of credit because they did right in the middle of the Bama run. They won themselves two titles against Alabama. That's why Kirby and Georgia deserve a ton of credit because they have risen up right in the heart of the Alabama dynasty. And for all we know, they've started one of their own. That should be celebrated. Let's go to the next question. It's about to get personal. The next question does not have to do with me. It's from Chris, and he asks, you mentioned your staff at Late Kick a lot. It sounds like y'all are really close. Were these guys with you during your independent days? No, they were not. Let me tell you how it happened. I've told the story several times of the way that we just built the show, so you can find that in our archives. But when I was down in Columbus and Shannon Terry called, and, and made the offer for me to bring myself and ultimately the show up to 24-7 and CBS, I got here, and on the first day, now Director Colin remembers this vividly, the first day I walked in, I had a meeting with Shannon and some of the folks here, uh, like Barton Simmons, I think, was in there. He's since moved on. And he was just, we were just talking about vision and stuff. And, and Shannon, to his credit, he said, hey, look, we got some resources. Like We've got a studio, but we don't have any shows so you're here to do what we ended up doing with Lake Kick. But in the meantime, can you go just shoot some videos today? So I went over to their studio. This was down in Brentwood, Tennessee. It's like 10 minutes south of downtown where we are now in the old office. And I went down there or went in there and we recorded some videos. Well, let me tell you who else was in there. A guy by the name of Director Colin was in there. Director Colin was being... 
uh, very much misused, I would say. Like his skill set was not being harnessed at all. And since I had come from the world where I was around people in production, I knew it immediately. So Colin is like me. He never talks to anyone socially. Very reclusive. Uh, we sat there and talked for like an hour. And I pitched him my entire vision. And he was like picking up what I was putting down, finishing my sentences. And so he and I immediately started putting together mock drafts. And we started doing dry runs of what we thought this show should look like. We had it down like nearly immediately. If you've watched the show, you know we have not changed the format since we started it. Everything from camera angles to blocking to segmentation to the way we handle post-production, we've largely taken the same format for about four years, three or three years now. And so then we get downtown post-COVID, we start to open back up, and producer Jesse comes into our lives. Because producer Jesse's up in Connecticut, woof, and he's working for CBS Sports HQ up there. And one, one day, Jesse had to fill in producing the show. I'd never met him. He was doing it remotely because we were having to run the show through Connecticut. Sometimes we have to do that. It's technical. I don't want to bore you with it. Well, sometimes people would screw it up. Jesse never did. Jesse nailed it every time, so much so that it felt like you worked with us. And so um, I started going to anyone I could and getting in the ear of management saying, hey, there's this little angel up there in Connecticut. I think he should live in Nashville. I would love for him to come work for us. So then we got producer Jesse, and he's just blown up by producer Jesse's stock. Uh, and then Bradley, the associate, was actually with me. He's the one I knew back in my independent days. And Bradley, the associate, was uh, behind the scenes down at WLTZ, down in Columbus when I was working there. And Bradley, the associate, unbeknownst to 99% of you, actually appeared on air a few times down there. And uh, that footage doesn't exist, to my knowledge. It's been burned. But I, I would pay good money if anyone down there could find it. So yeah, Bradley, the associate, has been with us a little over a year now. He's come up here, and it's a very, very tight-knit group. It's a very closed circle. Hard to get into it uh, because we got the folks we need. But at the same time, we're always looking for more. Like, like President Tyler, for example, has been doing a great job with our shorts. Uh, he, he's in the other room. I assume he's still in there. So yeah, we, we got some other folks like Jameson handles the podcasting for us a lot of nights. I'm using loose nicknames for a lot of these people, by the way, because that's how I call them around the office. So it's, it is a very close-knit group because it's people you don't have to be over the shoulder of. You know the kind, the, the folks who you can trust to hand responsibility to, and they execute it at as high a level as the standard is set at every time. Those folks don't screw things up. And so, um, yeah. When you find folks like that, you take care of them and you keep them around and you give them shout outs on air. That's what we do. So um, in lieu of just having 14 other faces on the show, we're going to keep the format as it is, or as it is. But yeah, we got, we got a really good crew here. And I think that's pretty obvious in the product that we put out. I mean, we just came off the road in Miami all week and proceeded to do a 77 minute show Sunday night. And it was the third best one we've ever done from my own little grading system. So yeah, they don't drop the ball and I try not to either. It's very much a very much hit or miss on my end, but yeah, they do a really good job. I appreciate you guys for checking out the pod. Please make sure you're subscribed to it. That's all I need you to do. Share it. Yes, that's wonderful. Our numbers are great though. I just need you to subscribe to it. That's it. And maybe get mom and dad to as well. So for DirectCom, for Producer Jesse, 
for Bradley the Associate. I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.